the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com. SB Nation's home for G5 football. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody, especially our American listeners, who I guess you're the only one celebrating right now. You pesky Canadians did it uh, last month. Uh, Eric Henry, how are you celebrating Thanksgiving this year? I will be celebrating it with the family here in the greater South slash Central Florida area. Uh, I'll probably be in Orlando going to hit up the UCF USF game on Friday. So I will be with the family in Central Florida on Thursday. How about yourself? I am actually going to Phoenix, Arizona to do a uh, sort of a Friendsgiving type thing. So getting out of the cold weather, definitely excited for that. Um, I feel like in the Midwest, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, the bars are always insanely crowded. Like it doesn't even matter like what bar just because everybody's home for Thanksgiving and wants to go like see their old friends from high school or whatever. Is that the case in Florida still? I can tell you this much. It's the case in Florida, but not like it was in the Midwest. When I lived in Chicago for, you know, three years or three, three Thanksgivings at least. The uh, it was legendary. The bars, you know, you live in uh, in Chicago and being there in Wrigley, uh, Wrigleyville, it was legendary just how packed those bars would be. So in Florida, it does happen, but just not quite like it is like that Midwest. You know, you go to a Big Ten school and everyone comes back and it's one big reunion. But uh, you'll see. Here's what you'll see down here. <laughs> you will see like your random Applebee's bar that's just packed at like ten o'clock at night, <laughs> and uh, so that's what you'll see. Yeah, that uh, definitely reminds me of growing up in Ohio and the uh, the strip malls get uh, get packed for some reason, even though they're like there's like nobody in them six nights a week. And then this one night a year, it's where they make all their money. It's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving is Black Friday for bars. I feel like that's basically the, the situation. I think you nailed it there. Thank you. Uh, with that, then let's jump into some CUSA football, the real reason people listen to this show. Uh, Western Kentucky, massive win for them against Southern Miss, 28-10, to 10, the final there. Uh, huge performance from the defense in particular. Strip sack for Jeremy Darvin that led to a touchdown by D'Angelo Malone. Uh, two passing touchdowns for Ty Story as well. And uh, with the loss for USM and the UAB win, we have a three-way tie for CUSA West, as if this league couldn't get more intriguing. You know, we've talked about it on this podcast throughout the year. Right when you think you know what to expect from CUSA, it just throws a curveball. We'll get to this one later. I think I probably was at the biggest CUSA upset of the year, but we'll get to that one you know, in a few. Uh, as far as Southern Miss and Western Kentucky goes, you just – I'm looking at it, you know, again, and I, I – forgive me, I don't remember exactly who I chose last week. I want to say I chose Southern Miss because I felt like their offense was clicking. And to an extent, it was. Now, Jack Abraham does get banged up a little bit. I want to see what his uh, stats will be for a really important game for Southern Miss as they head to Florida Atlantic to take on uh, – or had they head to Boca to take on Florida Atlantic – but, you know, they just couldn't really get things going. I mean, uh, Quez Watkins, 8 for 90 is a nice day. Uh, Tim Jones, 7 for 159. They got some things there, but, you know, they just couldn't cash in and, and, and get touchdowns. And when you, you turn the ball over and you have to settle for uh, field goals, is this what's going to happen? I mean, once again, Joe, I don't know how you feel about this, but credit Ty's story. Because I remember when he took over for Stephen Duncan, 
<laughs> you know, just to be completely honest, I thought this thing was going to go into the tank. And it's not necessarily an indictment on Ty's story, per se. It's just that you know, those first few games, he didn't exactly look great. And Stephen Duncan was coming off of a performance at FIU in which he really took control of the team. But he's really, you know, it, I think when Ty took over, it felt like not that he was a liability, but he was more of a just don't lose it for us. And now he's winning games for Western Kentucky, and that's huge. Absolutely. You hit it on the uh, on the head, really, with Ty Story taking that role on. It's you really couldn't have asked for a better year from him, both in terms of like the stat line and just from like the his whole like personal story. He's a grad transfer. He comes in uh, immense amount of pressure on him, as like you mentioned, Stephen Duncan definitely had that job won and was really starting to to pick up steam as the leader of that team. And then he goes and not only gets his team to bowl eligibility, he's able to pick up a giant win against his hometown team, his former team. And uh, now they're just, they're just putting a cherry on top of their season as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You know what? I'm actually quick question. Since you mentioned that, I guess I'm curious as, you know, our resident of Western Kentucky guy, seven and four, are you just happy that, you know, things have turned around or are you a little bit disappointed that, you know, they weren't exactly able to kind of finish things off in the East? Um, you know, I guess I have a little bit of that, but not as much considering I've watched a lot of FAU and I don't feel like, you know, I, I feel like they were going to win the East regardless, but they, they definitely came out to a hot start and were definitely in contention for it for a little bit there. Um, but I mean, I really wasn't sure what to expect given how last year's uh, team performed and it's largely the same players as we've discussed and it's just a new coach and a new scheme but uh tyson helton seems to have the magic touch on these guys so you know they got back to a bowl i'm happy with that he clearly has this team headed in the right direction so i'm i'm pretty satisfied with where the team is everything else i think is just gravy at this point thanksgiving pun not intended yeah no i can definitely understand that perspective i just had to ask because i know i mean I agree with you that FAU, all things considered, is probably the best team in the East. But you look at it, and you look back at that FAU game, and, I mean, they had their chances. So I guess, you know, the quote-unquote fan in me just wonders what um, Tops fans may think about that. But, yeah, completely agree. You know, great season, especially coming off of the uh, two-year span under Mike Sanford, in which we kind of saw the program go in the wrong direction. Yeah, you can't ask for anything better here. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of programs in the middle of a really nice turnaround, the Charlotte 49ers, they get a win against Marshall 24 to 13. Another really surprising result. Before we go any further, let me just fully acknowledge I sucked picking games last week. <laughs> that was my worst week picking games. I think it was the for only week this year I've had a losing record, but uh, happy to be proven wrong when uh, you know, we get as great games as we uh, got this week. Uh, Chris Reynolds, the leading passer and rusher in this game, 196 yards through the air, 145 on the ground for him. And uh, for Marshall, just a brutal second half all around. Uh, that's uh, that's why we see them in this position. But uh, the 49ers are bull eligible. And with that result, FAU are now alone atop the East with one game left. Hey, Joe, before I go into, uh, you know, any game recap and go any further, uh, you know anybody who was high on Charlotte entering the year? You know anybody? Know anybody? <laughs> I think I know one guy. Okay. Just so he'll go unnamed. I just, you know, figured I'd ask there. Um, as far as this game goes, no, I picked Marshall as well, but I do remember saying that I really felt that Charlotte had a chance given everything that they had at stake, you know, a chance to uh, – the season, you know, they started off well. They kind of had that mid-stretch, and we talked about it where – you know, head coach Will Healy said, 
I don't want to say he doubted himself, but he was like, hey, you know, maybe I overestimated what I can do with energy and just bringing some excitement to this team. And I think it'll show as a first-year coach, you know, a first, excuse me, first-year FBS coach, not a first-year head coach overall, that just, you know, stay consistent and ride the wave because you see his team has really responded well to the enthusiasm and his style of coaching. And they've came back, and the fact that they had that chance to clinch at home, I think that's huge. I mean, I don't know if you saw the scene postgame, but – uh, as someone who's been to Jerry Richardson Stadium, it's not the biggest stadium in the world. However, it is a pretty high leap from the uh, from the stands down to like the field. That is also like it's not it's not huge and it's not like a, a giant stadium. But it, it, to jump down from the end zone stands down to the field, uh, you, you could hurt yourself. But they were not taking any uh, you know any precaution. They were jumping down and rushing the field. And I think it was great to see the the Niner fans there hit the field. But yeah, man, I mean, just Chris Reynolds. What a performance. Uh, 25 carats or buck 45 on the ground, obviously, as, as I've talked about, whether he's going to have a great day as a passer or a great day as a rusher, he's just going to find a way to get it done. Benny LeMay returns to the lineup and gets uh, 100 yards. I believe that uh, is his 13th 100-yard game in uh, his career at Charlotte, and he crossed the 3,000-yard mark. So, you know, kudos to Benny. He's easily the best player in 49er history. And really their stars showed up. You know, Alex Highsmith had a sack. Vic Tucker out of uh, Carroll City High School down here in South Florida, five grabs for about 21 and a touchdown. So kudos to Will Healy, man. I mean, uh, just a, you know, a quick touch up on Charlotte. It's more of what we talked about with Isaiah Green. And I hate to come on this podcast every week and sound like I'm just repeating myself and harping on this one kid, but we know his talent. You know, one day he shows up and he throws for 250 and, you know, two scores. The next day he's 6 of 17 for 86 yards and two picks. So that's really what sunk them, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I really couldn't agree more. That offense has been either, you know, they've looked all world or they've just been completely flat. And, and in this case, they were the latter. And moving forward, you know, like you mentioned, we don't want to harp on one guy, but Isaiah Green means so much to this offense and he just simply has to be performing more consistently. Yeah, yeah. I actually went on the uh, Running with the Herd podcast for Marshall's Rivals Network, and, and you know, their uh, representative Aaron Coleman actually agreed with me when uh, just kind of talked about Isaiah Green. It's not that you want to come down on one guy. It's the fact that he is the quarterback, and we do know that quarterback is the most important position on the field. Along with head coach, they probably get too much credit when you win, and they probably get too much blame when you lose. But when you look at Isaiah Green's stat lines in losses, he does shoulder a lot of the blame. So uh, especially when Marshall forced two turnovers. So that's, you know, it's a tough break for them, but, you know, they'll have a chance to respond next week against FAU, but kudos to Charlotte. You know, they're six and five and they're bowl eligible. Yeah, definitely going to be an interesting week in the East next week. Thanks to that result. Let's switch gears to the West with uh, UAB beating uh, Tech 20 to 14 over the weekend. Tech without Jamar Smith and Adrian Hardy once again. Uh, on the UAB side, Dylan Hopkins, another good day for the UAB quarterback, 185 passing yards and a touchdown. Uh, also the 18th straight home victory for UAB. So definitely something to be proud of for Bill Clark's program. And um, that CUSA West race only gets more interesting now. Um, but the good news for Tech, they're going to get those offensive players back next week. Yeah, Joe, once again, before I launch into kind of a recap here, I'm just going to toss this question out at you. And I, Apologies for putting in a tough spot, but if you were a Tech fan, or it's pretend in this case it's Western, how do you feel about those two suspensions? You know, I've seen a little bit of chatter on CUSA message boards, and, you know, I've had people message me. I won't say who they were, but 
and this is reckless speculation, so I want to put this out ahead of time, but they've essentially asserted that the t the suspensions at Tech were too harsh and, uh, you know, time will tell that this was, you know, not the right punishment. And you don't know how much of that is the fan coming out of you. So I guess I'm just curious, you know, my personal perspective, and I wrote about it in my three things you learn about Conference USA, I'm never going to come down on, on a program if they chose to suspend guys, if they rightfully broke the rules, because we've seen so many times where programs say they put winning above necessarily, you know, doing the right thing. Um, but just curious your POV here before we jump into a recap. Yeah. Um, you know, with, the, with these two guys, it's definitely a tough spot, right? You have a team that was in basically in the clear to take the conference prior to this, uh, prior to this happening. And now they're uh, really in danger of losing out on it to, uh, to either UAB or Southern Miss, depending on what happens next week. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, with, if, if they were in a different position, i.e. not so close to a conference title, then I, I wouldn't mind too much, but it's it's obviously tough given the the timing of it and this directly affected probably where they're going to finish the year in terms of the conference standings but at the same time again don't know what they did but i you know i feel like if you kind of either brush it under a rug or kind of delay uh punishment until a more convenient time then i feel like you're not doing your job as a coach or an administrator in you know molding these uh these student athletes into better human beings which is part of your responsibility as a as a coach and as a teacher so um you know i feel like you know again we don't know the punishment so it's hard to say the punishment fit the crime but at the same time like if you're going to take action if you're going to take disciplinary action then you you got to do it you know swiftly and punctually i guess is if that's the right word the reason why i'm led to believe that and once again, we don't know what they did, but the reason I'm led to believe that there was something there is that you hit, you know, like you said, they were in the clear really to take at least the West, if not the conference. And we all know that Louisiana Tech, for all the success they've had as a program, they've been a very steady program like the Marshalls of the world. They've never won a CUSA title. So uh, the fact that, you know, you would choose to do that with two of your best offensive weapons obviously says something. Now, just, you know, to kind of quickly transition to the recap here, uh, Good job by Dylan Hopkins, you know, doing what he can as far as we know he's not necessarily a consistent passer just yet. And obviously he wasn't uh, slated to be the starter. Tyler Johnson III was. He is reminiscent of Tyler in the sense that he can be boom or bust, but uh, uses his legs well, you know, picked up 35 yards and threw a touchdown. Uh, once again, Spencer Brown still clearly not himself, 10 carries for 21 yards, which is just shocking. And uh, compared to, you know, his success as freshman and sophomore year. But once again, Credit Bill Clark's club. You know, when you have guys like Garrett Moreno and Christopher Mole and, and guys like that and Noah Wilder on defense, you know, they all manage to make plays. And I don't care if you're going against, you know, Jamar Smith and Adrian Hardy or, you know, the backup in Justin Henderson and, and uh or the backup in Allen and uh running back Justin Henderson. They all find a way to found a way to make plays and they got the win. So that's all that matters. UAB, I believe, uh, continues their streak as the number one scoring defense in CUSA with that victory and that performance. So uh, hats off to them all around. Uh, and as we've said many times over the course of the last couple of weeks, the CUSA race is going to be uh, it's one hell of a finish. I'll say that. Let's head to the great state of Texas, where Rice beat North Texas in another crazy game. 20-14 to 14 was the final. 
Um, really solid performance by the Rice offense in particular. Kind of a shame it took them this long to really kick it into gear. Uh, North Texas will not go bowling. Uh, really not how you'd like to see Mason Fine and uh, Seth Luttrell's time together end. Granted, you know, have one more game left, but um, that would be their fifth win and obviously not good enough to get to the postseason. Yeah, I'm going to kind of speak to this one a little bit because I know I went long on the others. Uh, big takeaways here, like you mentioned, Mason Fine, really disappointing way to see his career come to an end. Uh, his tenure with Seth Luttrell there since so a not go bowling. I mean, who could have seen that coming? But kudos to Rice. We've talked about them all year playing hard and not, you know, when you look at teams like them and UTEP, who clearly are rebuilding, what you don't want to see is kids quitting. And they clearly have not quit on Mike Bloomgren. Great respect to them. You talked about the offense. I'm going to talk about the defense. Blaze Aldrich. Uh, I don't know if you've seen his numbers, Joe, but 88 tackles, four sacks. I believe he has 19 and a half tackles for loss. The reason I bring him up is because he's really just, you know, he was a Juco guy who started the last half of last year and has been a full-time starter this year and has really gone under the radar. But it's been one of the better players in Conference USA overall, offense or defense since becoming a full-time starter halfway through last year. So, um, you know, you might have to look out for his name as maybe being a first or second team All-CUSA guy. Uh, but once again, kudos to Rice to get that second win. And there's a chance that they could uh, get three, which I know you're saying, oh, three wins, what the hell. But, you know, for a team that's rebuilding, if they can get three wins, and, and uh, if my memory serves me correct, three would equal their total from last year and the year before combined. So a uh, huge step for Rice. Yeah, as you mentioned, Blaze Aldridge, huge season for him, and uh, we'll likely see him on some uh, some COSA All-Star teams as the season comes to a close. Um, staying in Texas, you mentioned UTEP. Uh, they were unable to get their second win of the year this week. Uh, they lose to New Mexico State 44-35. to uh, Three rushing touchdowns for New Mexico State running back Jason Huntley. Good performance from Kai Loxley, who rightfully got the start at quarterback, in my opinion. Just, uh, you know, wasn't quite enough juice to uh, get over the hump there. Yeah, I mean, I kind of talked about it when we gave a prediction last week, is that this one was a toss-up. So I'll start with Kai Loxley. Joe, <laughs> could you ever have thought, you know, going back to last year and earlier this year, that you'd see a 358-yard passing performance from Kai Loxley? You know, honestly, no, but uh, given, you know, going into this game, how uh, New Mexico State was also uh, one in nine, um, it kind of makes sense in retrospect. Sure. I mean, you know, it's it's just it it makes you wonder, you know, if Kai had at least had let's say we cut these numbers in half because there were plenty of stat lines where we saw him throw for 50, 60, and 70 yards. So, you know, you have that um, to take into account. But once again, give credit to New Mexico State. They get the win. I'll take it from the CUSA perspective here. Um, great to see that type of performance on offense from those guys, but you just got to do it on a consistent basis. You kind of, it kind of makes you wonder at what stage are they in the rebuild with Dana Dimmel. Um, we'll see where they are, but hopefully they can at least bring the offense next week against Rice, but it's going to be tough because, as we mentioned, Rice does play tough. They play hard for their head coach, and they have a really solid defense. So we'll see what happens, but uh, the Miners fall. Yep, and uh, Old Dominion in a similar spot as the UTEP program right now. Unfortunately, they lose to Middle Tennessee State 38-17 to this past week. Uh, for the Blue Raiders, Asher O'Hara, just 100 yards away from a 1,000-yard season rushing. Uh, he threw two touchdowns in this game as well. Um, for ODU, definitely kept pace with, uh, with MTSU 
in uh, in many regards, outgained them in terms of yardage, but it really just didn't translate to points, and that's got to be concerning if you're uh, if you're Bobby Wilder, um, along with many other things about the state of this program. Also of note, uh, pick six for Killen Shribling from MTSU. So solid performance from him. My quick takeaways: You mentioned Asher O'Hara. He's you know coming up on a chance to have a thousand yards rushing. Uh, I have to get, come back and take a look at the numbers for next week to see um, who the last CUSA quarterback was to run for a thousand yards. But the thing about Asher is that he's got great rushing numbers and his passing numbers are sneaky good as well. I believe he's over two thousand. So uh, you know, obviously, he is a true definition of a dual threat for ODU. I don't care that they did this in what probably or what essentially was you know an effort to playing from behind. Hayden Wolf. 39 of 65 for 321. I think it just shows we're not there at practice, so we don't know what his level of readiness, readiness excuse me, may have been prior to you know the FIU start, but he clearly is the guy. As Bobby Wilder said, he expects Hayden Wolf to be the future, and he wants to be part of that. Whether Bobby Wilder is a part of that future, time will tell. But, I mean, just impressed that the fact he was able to stand back there and do it behind an offensive line that, as we all know, has been subpar uh, throughout the year. So, those are my two takeaways, but MTSU, you know, if they don't trip up last week, they still have a fighting shot at the bowl. But uh, yeah, great takeaways for uh, Asher O'Hara and Rick Stockfield. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame that such a great individual season by Asher O'Hara is ultimately gonna gonna end after next week. But um, like we kind of mentioned on last week's show, actually, that uh, they definitely have something good to build around in Asher. Uh, staying in the East, we uh, we mentioned FAU and how they are now alone atop the East Division. Uh, they get there in part thanks to a 40-26 to win over UTSA on Saturday, fourth win in a row for the Owls. Uh, and really, when you look at FAU this season, their execution has been so impressive and, uh, you know, on, on top of just the talent we've seen, um, and it really kind of came through in this game, um, just really ran those uh, those scoring plays in particular to to perfection. Lane Kiffin has this team, uh, you know, running like a well-oiled machine at this point. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'll quickly I'll start with UTSA. Uh, Luke Thurman McCormick was having a really good freshman year. He lost two fumbles, and I don't want to say that's the difference, but definitely had some freshman struggles there because outside of that, he played well with his 12 carries. 76 yards and also Rashad Wisdom who's another young guy there uh, if my memory serves me correct he is from this greater San Antonio era uh, uh, well greater San Antonio area not era <laughs> let's try that again um, but he had a solid game there so you know for UTSA you do see those building blocks along with Brendan Brady uh, they had a solid quarterback play from Jojo Weeks and Lowell Narcisse uh, but obviously, you don't expect him to go on there and compete with, you know, the beast of the East and FAU. Chris Robinson just continued to ball 27 of 41 for 336. The fact that they actually got B.J. Emmons back after a broken ankle, that just gives them another running back, uh, especially with Malcolm Davidson, who Lane Kiffin said post game is a little banged up. So we'll see what his status is. But you got James Charles, B.J. Emmons and Malcolm Davidson, along with the, you know, the, uh, the Nick Tronti uh, kind of dynamic there and then Chauncey Mason. They're just loaded back there as far as, you know, guys who can carry the ball. Harrison Bryant, 10 grabs for a buck 82. At this point, you know, like I've been saying for the past few weeks now, I really think that FAU, despite their record, um, you know, because you look at the record and say, oh, yeah, they're, they're uh, analogous to a law tech or, you know, um, a UAB. In my opinion, they aren't. I think FAU is clear, clearly the best team in this conference. 
Yeah, I think you're. Uh, I think you're right in saying so. They've they've played so well this year. Chris Robinson, uh, amazing to see how much he's grown as a quarterback, and um, likely are going to see them uh, in the CUSA championship game, barring some kind of crazy something in this last week of the regular season. Uh, speaking of some kind of crazy something, FIU beating Miami in a neutral site game at Hard Rock Stadium, thirty to twenty four. Just a massive moment for the program, regardless of how this season has gone as a whole. Uh, they hold off the Hurricanes' fourth quarter comeback attempt to get to bowl eligibility. And, uh, you know, Eric, as the guy who was on site for this, like, how, hey, how crazy was this to witness? And how much does this mean to FIU fans? Sure. So I'm going to start with the first part of that. Uh, you know, how crazy was it to witness? Joe, you said in, you know, your, your recap that it was a neutral site game. This was not, and obviously, you know, you're saying that because it was at Marlins Park. This was not a neutral site game. This was a Miami Hurricanes home game. It was a return to the old Orange Bowl site. Driving up to the stadium, you saw nothing but green and and orange. And, you know, I posted on Twitter for those of you who do follow me, but I was genuinely shocked, Joe. And, and I'm really shocked at much things or at many things. But the level of booze that rained down on FIU, can you imagine you know, this easily was, I mean, let's just, let's pick this apart for a second. This was scheduled as FIU's last home game of the year, right? And, and you have it in Miami and you think, all right, at least you're not traveling anywhere. In essence, what they got was their harshest road environment in the three years that Butch Davis has been the coach. If you, I mean, outside of, you know, the opening week game at uh, UCF in the first game of his tenure, this has been the harshest environment these kids have ever played in. And the fact that they managed to do that with what was supposed to be their home game a team that's supposed to blow them out, the emotions of playing against a bunch of kids who you grew up with, because if, if you know anything about the dynamics of South Florida, all these kids know each other. That was just insane. And then, you know, the, the second part, I mean, what does it do for the program? The level of enthusiasm I've seen in the past four days is something that I haven't seen in the two years that I've covered the team. You knew because FIU has, a, 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 you know, 45,000 student enrollment and a huge alumni base in South Florida that they have people who are affiliated with the school, but they just needed a reason to come out and support it. And, you know, they might not have shown up at the stadium that day, but they showed up at FIU at, um, you know, the uh, practice, excuse me, the uh, uh, Ricardo Silva stadium post game. And they showed up uh, at the Graham center at the student union there at FIU for uh, an impromptu pep rally for having beaten uh, UM. So, uh, all things considered, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better result for FIU. I mean, this is what I, I kind of said when I did a radio appearance the other day, that in the 18 years that this program has been around, you couldn't have asked, you could have paid for better marketing than they got Saturday night. You know, uh, anything short of Pete Garcia standing out there on, on the turnpike and diverting traffic to FIU wouldn't have gotten this kind of attention. So, you know, great win for the Panthers. Yeah, absolutely. Huge win for COSA in the grand scheme of this season. Uh, very big in terms of uh, FIU's growth as a program and the short amount of time that they've been at this level. Um, and uh, just just really crazy to see um, as a casual observer even. Um, but, you know, I, I, I hate, to, hate to switch it up on you a little bit, Eric, but yeah. as you're covering this game, understand there, were, uh, there was a situation that you had to deal with. <laughs> So I believe you had asked me, and this is the question I'll ask you, because um, I, I think you'd asked me, you know, what was my uh, favorite game I'd ever been to or attended, and you know, I had to rack the brain about that. 
This also is up there with one of my favorite games I've ever attended, but also my most embarrassing moment in public. Uh, I went ahead and, you know, I bought some uh, dress pants for this one. I knew I was going to be in a, uh, a higher environment, you know, no disrespect to the cage where you can get away with, you know, a uh, regular pair of slacks or even, you know, um, you know, some khaki joggers and a, a nice shirt or whatever. But, you know, I figured I'd, I'd class it up a little bit since I was heading to Marlins Park. And, um, yeah, <laughs> I bought the slim fit pants. I squatted down to take a picture and uh, don't work legs before wearing slim fit pants because all I heard was this right down the center. And uh, you know that feeling, Joe, when you feel like everyone is looking at you? Yes. Well, that precisely was it. And by everybody, I mean all the recruits. And it was a nationally televised game. And it's at Marlins Park, so it was a full house. And yeah, those pants ripped. So I managed to uh, uh, get a buddy of mine who was working the game. I was like, dude, follow me back up to the press box. So uh, this isn't like just a huge, you know, spectacle. He covered me. <laughs> I made it back up there and I grabbed my jacket. And I made it uh, 90s style. I just tied my jacket around my waist. But uh, yeah, that's what happened. So I'll ask you quickly, Joe, um, most embarrassing moment, like in, a, in, you know, whether it's a game or some public, just an area where you just something embarrassing. It's like everyone's looking at you. Uh, what you got? <laughs> uh first of all i like how you're blaming this on your legs being too buff uh second <laughs> second i think for me i i was i was pretty young i was maybe i, I was like young but old, you know too old for for this i was maybe 10 or 11 um and i remember being at like a crowded museum somewhere and I couldn't find my mom, and I saw what I who what I thought was my mom because this person was wearing like the same color jacket, and I just went up and just wrapped this person in a big hug, and then said person turned around and it was not my mother, it was a large African American woman who my mom is not <laughs> African American, and I just kind of we just kind of locked eyes and she just proclaimed loudly, "Who this child?" Um, and I just ran away. <laughs> so that's probably mine. Um, okay. Uh, mine was definitely embarrassing for a reason. Yours. For uh, <laughs> so those of you who have not seen Joe, uh, not only is Joe not African-American, nor is his mother African-American. So obviously there are plenty of ways your mother could be African-American. Um, if we're just going based on the, the appearance of Joe, uh, he's the least looking person you ever confused with being African-American. So uh, that's what makes us hilarious. I can picture a little Joe just running up to, you know, this woman and uh, quickly realizing that it was not his mom. So that's uh, <laughs> entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, not my proudest moment as a human being, but um, I, you know, I came over it. I got over it. And uh, 10 years later, I, uh, I hosted G5 football podcast. So that's uh that's my road to redemption. Um but uh, speaking of redemption, with uh, let's let's talk more about CUSA West and uh, you know everything that's going on there. Um, Louisiana Tech still in con- uh, contention for CUSA West in that division title, despite uh, losing the last two games. Uh, USM in the race as well, despite the loss to Western Kentucky last week, and UAB coming on strong uh, the last several weeks. Um, but technically a three-way tie there. And uh, there's, it's definitely a weird situation in terms of how the league would pick the winner should the standings remain the same. So this is my major thing. 
I, I'm not going to get into, you know, the nuances of the scenarios and whatnot. You know, I think we kind of dealt with that last year, especially at FIU, where there was this weird way in which, you know, they could have hosted, Middle could have hosted, Marshall could have hosted, all these things. My major gripe about this is this, and there's two ways of looking at it. One, you can't be upset if you're a fan of those teams, because if your team just wins games, there's not a team in this league that's undefeated. So if your team just wins the games that, you know, they played, and they're not in this case, sure. I'm going to take the, the broader uh, picture here. It, it, I guess it's just frustrating because, I mean, CUSA does a lot of things right as someone who intends, you know, media days and all these things. I mean, they, the, the conference is really top-notch. I mean, I, and I'm not just saying that just because we covered the conference. But this makes it look not I mean, like amateur hour, but you just would think that this, you'd have this sort out ahead of time. And I know that before the year, you're not, you're not thinking like, what are the scenarios going to be because a six-way tie or something crazy? No, but like as the season plays out, you see what teams are trending in what direction. And you know, Joe, we and I have been talking about this podcast for how many weeks about you know the division races being like a three-team race, and especially in the West. So this couldn't have caught anybody by surprise. So I guess the fact that you know they put out a statement and then you know the statement's kind of gone back and it's unclear. Um, I just would have liked to have seen that be handled in a little bit. A clearer way, you know, for us as media, for fans, for players, for coaches, everyone involved. Yeah, and as part of that whole process, you're talking specifically about how they basically said, like, if it would remain in a tie, then they would basically give it to like the person who uh, was hasn't been to the title game in a while. Correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that kind of took me by surprise. Uh, which I guess the good news is, I feel like after this this next weekend and with all of those teams still playing conference games, obviously one of them is bound to lose. So I feel like that's good. the problem could potentially solve itself, especially with uh, FAU playing Southern Miss, and I believe Louisiana Tech and, and UAB have already played this year, correct? Yes, yes, they have. Yeah, yeah. so in that case, should Southern Miss lose, the West Division would just go to whoever holds the tiebreaker between those two teams. Right? Uh, okay, you know, yeah, I said to think that one out. Yeah, correct. If Southern Miss loses, yeah, you're correct. I said to think okay. about that for a second, but yeah, you're, you're, you're correct. Okay, so I mean, this potentially could resolve itself in, in just the fact that it came down to this. And if Southern Miss does pull off a crazy upset against FAU, uh, we're going to be in a weird situation and, uh, Twitter's going to be fun. Um, which by the way, my favorite thing that came out of that was the, uh, clip from the office where they they have the four way standoff, uh, and somebody <laughs> superimposed the, the team logos onto all the characters faces. That was, that was pretty great. Like the league comes in with UTEP and rice <laughs> to, uh, to Pam, who's supposed to be, uh, North Texas and UTSA, and it's just like, let's just go. Come on. <laughs> that was gotta love it. Gotta love it to get a little office action there. You know, it can't beat that. Oh yeah. CUSA Twitter is creative. I'll give them that. Um, we we've talked a little bit about what could happen next week. So without further ado, let's just make some picks. Uh to kick it off, we've got uh Marshall and FIU squaring off in Huntington, uh noon Eastern on CBS Sports Network, heard favored by seven and a half as of the recording. I think I gotta go with the herd. Uh while FIU definitely have uh some good uh some good mojo headed their way after that Miami win. I can't 
back off of how good Marshall has been for most of this year. Brendan Knox has been fantastic, almost up to 1,200 yards in the season. Uh, Isaiah Green, when he's on, he's great. But as we've mentioned, he's got to be more uh, consistent. And FIU just hasn't played great away from home. So you asked me, what did the Miami win do for the program? Here's the second part of that. In the South Florida landscape, it's very much a what have you done for me lately type of environment, and even more so than just your regular sports environment. I am inclined to pick Marshall because of all the things you just said. And if I may add some myself, FIU hasn't done a good job stopping the run this year. They did a, a, a excellent job against Miami, all things considered, you know, the level of opponent, not that Miami has been a great rushing team. If my memory serves me correct, UM is uh, 113th in FBS football, rushing the ball. So not that they're great, but, you know, FIU, especially against CUSA teams, has been porous. With that being said, they have a lot at stake should they lose this game. Everyone will always remember the win over Miami, but this season just goes back to six and six. And it's, all right, that was cute, but should UM beat Duke resoundingly and FIU loses? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like business as usual. So I'm clearly picking just on emotion here, uh, not even as an FIU fan. I mean, I don't consider myself an FIU fan. I didn't go to the school. I just covered the team. But I just think they have too much to lose. Um, you know, a lot of guys who have a lot of pride in trying to finish this thing out right. So I'm going to go with FIU. All right, should be interesting. And then up north in Bowling Green, we have the Tops hosting Middle Tennessee State in the 100 Miles of Hate game. Should be fun there on ESPN Plus at 2 Eastern. Tops favored by 8.5 in that game. Um, I got to give it to WKU. I think Asher O'Hara is going to have a great game on that side. But uh, WKU just has... I mean, they have a complete team, whereas MTSU doesn't. And for that reason, I think they're going to end the season eight and four. Not going to add much there outside of what you said. So you pretty much hit the nail on the head. And I think Western Kentucky is the more complete team. And, uh, you know, the one man show of Asher Harris is not going to be able to get it done against, you know, a really good Western Kentucky team. So I got the tops. What about uh, we got Old Dominion hosting Charlotte on ESPN Plus at 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, 49ers favored by nine and a half headed into that game. Um, not too much to really think about with this one. Charlotte playing really some of their best football of the year right now. Chris Reynolds looks absolutely unstoppable. Old Dominion, you know, limping to the finish line at this point. So I think feel like the 49ers are a pretty safe bet here. I'll take the 49ers and the storyline. We all know what it is at ODU. We'll have to be on Bobby Wilder watch, you know, uh, see what happens should they go to 1 and 11. And then we have UTEP hosting Rice at 3 Eastern on ESPN3. The Owls favored by seven points. Uh, I feel like it will be by, I feel going to be by two scores. Uh, You have to love the progress that Rice has made so far. And uh, UTEP, while they've made progress themselves, obviously hasn't translated to more than one victory. Um, So I feel like Rice has this pretty much handled. For Dana Dimmel's club, they got one shot. Uh, to kind of, you know, get one more win outside of a a win that was at Houston Baptist or against Houston Baptist. I don't see it coming against Rice, and uh, we'll have to see going forward into the offseason, you know, where they go as a program. But give me the Owls. Excuse me. I was going to say I'll take the Owls, but give me the Owls. I just can't see the, you know, coming off that type of win against North Texas, even though it wasn't, you know, 
North Texas of an eight, nine, 10 win variety. It's still North Texas and we know the success that they've had. So I think Rice is riding high. So I'll take the Owls. One shot, Mom Spaghetti, uh, FAU hosting Southern Miss at 3.30 Eastern on the NFL Network. Owls are favored by nine heading into that game. Um, I feel like that's a pretty safe bet as well. FAU, definitely a more complete team at this point. They've been a more consistent team, especially since conference play started. Uh, you know, I feel like Jack Abraham and Kez Watkins going to throw everything they have at this defense uh, in order to get back into that conversation of the uh, the West Division title, uh, but I feel like they're uh, they're going to come up a little bit short, but probably going to be the uh, the game of the week in my opinion. The way Joe casually dropped that eight mile reference is just very impressive. We're not going to let this you know just slide. That aside, completely agree that uh, FAU, especially Jack Abraham's status, is up in the air. We do not know if he'll be able to play or not. So um, if that is the case, that Jack Abraham cannot play, I don't see any reason why the Owls won't take this one. I just think you you add in the fact they get the return of B.J. Emmons, Chris Robinson, you know, top three quarterback in this league, the way he's played throughout this year. Um, the Owls are riding high, and as Lane Kiffin said in his post game uh, to his team, you know they take care of business. They got the CSA title game at home, so giving the Owls. And then Louisiana Tech hosts UTSA at uh, three thirty Eastern on ESPN Plus. Uh, Tech favored by twenty and a half points at this uh, moment of recording. Jamar Smith and Adrian Hardy are back. Um, I feel like that's all you really need to know. We know what this Tech offense can do when they're at full strength. Uh, We know what UTSA's uh, whole team does when you put any kind of pressure on them. So I feel like Tech is going to take this one pretty easily. Not going to belabor the point. We've talked about the suspensions enough. They're getting those guys back, and you have to assume that, you know, they're going to feel some level of remorse for, you know, having let the team down. I think they – you know, once again, the the West is not done yet. They still have a chance to win it. So, you know, that in addition to, you know, probably feeling the way they feel, I expect Tech to roll big. And the final part of that uh, interesting dilemma in the West, North Texas hosting UAB to close out the regular season slate for Conference USA. Uh, UAB favored by three points as the road team. Uh, that will be at 4 p.m. Eastern on Stadium. Uh, I feel like you have to pick the Blazers at this point, even with the uh, the short the short line there. Um, UAB's defense is just playing really fantastic football. They have all year. North Texas, you know, based on what they they've put forth the last couple of years, there's just no spark left in this team, and that's really disappointing. But the Blazers have uh, have got this one in the bag, I think. It's interesting you said there's no spark left because I'm curious as to whether they can give it one last hurrah for Mason Fine. You know, him, it's, it's, I don't think maybe, you know, we emphasize this enough, but it's just kind of sad that this is his final college game. You know, we didn't think that this would be the case. We thought we'd get a chance to talk about him in the bowl and whatnot, but this is it. Last one at uh, Apogee and last one in his career. Um, I don't think that's going to be enough. I just think that UAB is, is too good, specifically on the defensive side. And North Texas's defense just hasn't performed well. The only thing that could potentially, you know, outside of the, the rallying around Mason Fine is the fact that, you know, we don't know the quarterback situation. And it's not like UAB has had stellar quarterback play all year. It's kind of up and down. But I just don't see a reason that uh, UAB doesn't go in there and get the win. So uh, kind of a sad way to see Mason Fine go out, but I have the Blazers. I'd love to see some kind of spark out of North Texas because, A, that would just add more drama to the whole CUSA West thing with UAB and Louisiana Tech. Um, and, you know, for the record, 
I don't feel you really can't blame North Texas's uh, results this year on Mason Fine. He's played pretty fantastic, all things considered. Uh, almost three thousand yards passing, twenty-seven touchdowns, and you know I don't care what kind of offensive system you're in, that takes a heck of a lot of talent to be able to produce those kind of numbers. Oh, without question. I hope it didn't come across like I was blaming Mason Fine. No. I mean, we've talked about it. Yeah, you know we've. Talked- the defensive struggles and whatnot, you know, he's been uh, a stud and just, you know, the fact that, you know, he's still got some, some uh, yarders to make up on the conference all-time passing yard uh, leaderboard there. So hopefully he can get that taken care of. But yeah, man, it's just, you know, kind of disappointing and sad that we won't see him in postseason play. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I know we're going to see all of our fantastic listeners back next week when we talk about the COSA title game uh, and whoever might get into that probably will be FAU and between Louisiana Tech and UAB at this point, if we're being honest. But come back next week to listen to that episode. Thank you all so much, as always, for your patronage at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter. Uh, same on Facebook, underdogdynasty.com every day for more G5 football content. If you want to follow us on social media at J O E H I O underscore at Eric C Henry underscore, uh, enjoy a time with your family this holiday season. Uh, don't get trampled at black Friday. Happy football watching everybody. Mm-hmm.